Hello, this is Margarita Monet from Edge of Paradise, and you are listening to the Metal Pit Podcast. Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shaped metal. Please visit us on our website, themetalpit.org, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Metal Pit, and you can check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com at The Metal Pit 666 for uh, some uh, interview, video interviews and video shorts, and we just had our first album video review, so check that out if you haven't already. I am your host, Blake, and I kind of run this website, The Metal Pit, and I have with me two of my writers today. I have Tom. How are you doing today, Tom? Very well, Blake. How about yourself? Good. And I have Jimmy from the east coast of Canada. How are you doing, Jimmy? Oh, man. Awesome. Glad to be here. This is this is great. This is great. And do you have anything to add about today? Yes, well, I mean, me and Tom want to wish you a happy birthday, eh, Tom? Yeah, yeah, happy yeah. birthday, Blake, all right. You Thank know. you. And, you know, with a happy birthday comes <laughs> a, a rendition of Jimmy's song, so happy <laughs> birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, dear Blake, happy <laughs> birthday to you. Oh, now I'm blushing, luckily Very we're not nice. recording the video. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Jam. That was amazing. You're an amazing singer. You should start a band. I thought I am. You might have yes. to get a little deeper in your vocals. Regular Pavarotti over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my birthday's Saturday, just so people know it's not today that this is being released. But yeah, it's coming up at the end of the month. <laughs> okay. So this is our last episode of September. And then we will get into the month of October and we will have all Halloween horror themed episodes. We have episodes discussing albums by the group Bathory, FKU, Deicide, and we're finishing off the Halloween episodes with an album by Halloween. As I thought that's right. a fitting way to end Halloween with Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> and then on Halloween night, we marked the third year anniversary of this version of the Metal Pit website. And on that one, we will, we will be revealing the Metal Pit writers top 50 metal albums of all time. As all of our writers have submitted to me their top 50 lists. And I am going to do my scientific calculations to figure out <laughs> what is our top 50 albums by our, everybody. Nice. So we got that to look forward to now. Tonight, today, tonight, we're going to talk about one of the old bands, Black Sabbath. And we're going to talk about their first album with Ronnie James Dio on vocals. And that is, of course, Heaven and Hell. And this came out in 1980. I don't remember the date, but Tom must know the date. I do. As a matter of fact, it was April 25th, 1980, which was a Thursday, I believe. Um, the reason being, uh, for me personally, uh, it was my birthday. And uh, no, it was released <laughs> on Friday. It was, it was Friday, the release. And um, yeah, my birthday. And I heard it. I didn't buy my copy of the album till the next day, Saturday. But mm -hmm. I heard it that night at a friend's house. He went to the record shop after school to 
to my so yeah it's on my birthday april 25th 1980 so file that highly important date away everybody <laughs> awesome <laughs> well, I'm sure if we get jim on an episode next april <laughs> there he'll yeah. yeah all right so, so yeah yeah it's uh my birthday cool kind of like that okay and uh well well, you can just continue. Is obviously you knew Black Sabbath before this album. So when would yeah. you maybe first hear Black Sabbath? Oh, I think the first album I heard was Paranoid. Uh, I heard that somewhere in the middle seventies. I think Sabbath um, at a friend's house. He had an older brother that had all these really cool hard rock and metal albums. Um, so I was aware of Sabbath. I listened to Sabbath already. Uh, coming into 1980 not a not a great deal but a little bit um so i didn't know what in the world to expect i was familiar with ronnie from from rainbow in particular mm -hmm. rainbow rising because that was an album that i had um i just didn't know how this was going to all work because we, we didn't we heard that he got hired but remember you know you're not talking about this is pre-internet days and you know, mm. no YouTubes or anything like that to, to rifle through. Um, so it just kind of came out, you know, the, the elm itself. And then it was just a completely different band, just completely. I mean, it was Ozzy's band. He was the most noteworthy member of Sabbath. And then Ronnie just added this dynamic that he could actually sing and sing quite well. <laughs> so it was a totally different band. And um, so it was a really weird transitional period between the later 70s, because they were kind of like, a, they were in a bad way, Sabbath, you know, with the drug issues and, you know, just a lot of turmoil going on. And then Oz, you know, actually got fired. So it was very interesting. Didn't know what to expect, but turned out to be something really, really great. And it's funny, I read that Sharon Osbourne recommended Dio for the position. Well, I <laughs> but think, of course, at the time, she wasn't Sharon Osbourne. They weren't married right. that then. So, so I think that Wendy Dio and Sharon Arden at the time knew each other. And I think after Ronnie was out of Rainbow, they, this, they introduced them. Um, mm -hmm. Ronnie got to know, not to know, but was introduced to the Sabbath guys at some point party or something like that and then the actual so that might be the connection there i think that was in ronnie's book actually um hmm. and then ronnie met tony iomi at the rainbow bar and grill just hmm. by happenstance that was just uh by chance meeting and they're talking because they had previously met but that's where this whole thing really started so it was there was a link from sharon to wendy to ronnie but i don't I don't think she recommended him. I don't. So I, I thought I reading that. I, I it's thought I read Ronnie's, that, but it's in Ronnie's book that whole how that went down. Actually, I just can't remember precisely what it was. And uh, Jim, what about you? Now we might have. Oh no, you weren't on the episode. Yeah. So Jim, when did you first hear Black Sabbath or Heaven and Hell or whatever? Yeah, it's kind of the kind of the same story as Tom. My first album would have been uh, Paranoid bought it at from an older brother who was liquidating all his cassettes in the early 80s i bought that i remember going to like sneaking off school heading to the house just down by the school with a buddy of mine and he uh, i bought that 
like two or three bucks and I bought uh, 74 jailbreak, uh, the ACDC ah, yeah. uh, EP. So I got those two on cassette, and, you know, <laughs> and it blew my mind. That would have been like 82 or 83. But when I, you know, I knew Ronnie James Dio, obviously from Rainbow, but I also knew, you know, Holy Diver was coming out at that time and, and all the Dio albums that were, were getting big. But, you know, I kind of went backwards, picked up Heaven and Hell. I started picking up a lot of the back catalog in the early 80s. And I mean, I got Heaven and Hell and then quickly got Mob Rules right afterwards because, I mean, the, the two albums are phenomenal. And uh, yeah, like like Tom, you know, I, I'm a huge Aussie fan and I know there's camps out there that are pro purists of Black Sabbath Sazi or... And then, and then there's the other singers after that, but starting with Dio. But I got to be honest, I, I love all kind of incarnations of Black Sabbath. And these albums, you know, that album, this album is awesome. I remember getting it for the first time. I love the cover. It blew me away. And I remember picking it up and just, I mean, you know, it, it's anthemic. I mean, this is, uh, this is a fantastic album. So that's the first time I kind of got into Black Sabbath was picking up that cassette of Paranoid. As soon as I listened to that, I mean, it blew my mind. So, you know. Well, for me, it's hard. I probably mentioned this on our other Black Sabbath episode where we <laughs> talked about Paranoid, but I can't. I'm, I have a hard time remembering when I first heard Sabbath, except for hearing uh, Paranoid on the radio and maybe Iron Man probably on the radio. But I never really, as far as I can remember, I never really got any Sabbath albums in. But when I was in high school, which would be 1980 whatever two three whatever i remember buying some heavy metal albums off my janitor and one was black <laughs> sabbath's first album because <laughs> i still have that nice. so but i can't re i can't recall if i've already heard heaven and hell and then i got these albums i can't recall any of that stuff exactly but anyway so yeah so i can't recall but anyway let's get back okay so this album was produced by martin birch who of course is famous heavy metal producer yeah. and this album reached number 28 on the billboard top 200 charts i'm not sure if that's their top rated album or not i didn't look that up and the lineup on this album of course is Ronnie james Dio on vocals tony iomi guitars geezer butler bass and bill ward drums and i'm sure there's a keyboardist but i don't have his name down here but he's not really a part of the band i guess and i checked out that uh you know that set list fm.fm website yeah. about songs played live and only six of these according to that only six of these songs have been played live yeah which is kind of strange that they left a few. They don't even, they just recorded them and that's it. <laughs> yes. I don't know. So we're going to get yeah. the album and we'll yeah. start with, of course, Neon Nights, which is the most played live of this album. And yeah. Tom, let's use, you started about Neon Nights. Neon Nights, I believe was the last uh, track on that album to be recorded. And I remember Ronnie telling a story. They go, Oh, I got to get one more. Cause there's only eight tracks on that album. Yes. Um, so what are we going to do? A slow one, fast one. He goes, we ended up doing a fast one. Good. Now let's go to the bar. <laughs> That's what he said. So they zapped that out pretty quick, actually. And uh, for me, it's my favorite uh, song on the album. Uh, it's also probably, it's certainly within my top 10 favorite songs ever. I, I love it. Great way to start it out. Um, lyrically, it's really cool called by the toller of the bell that just right there <laughs> i heard that that was all over it was great i didn't care about the rest of the song it was gonna be great <laughs> so i think it's a great kickoff 
to the album it's not super fast but it's up tempo and it's it's it gets you energized and boy this is a you know a, a shape of things to come for the rest of the album sets the tone it's excellent i love it and jim yeah this is this is a highlight on the album it's i have like i mean i'm kind of gonna gush about pretty much all the songs on here so <laughs> uh you know but this just like tom said this starts it off and i love the fact that this was the last song written then they kind of just did it i mean sometimes the best stuff happens when you don't have time to really think about it so i mean that that's awesome i mean it, it was a single released i i love it and it's been it's been covered so many times and i mean i think uh you know anthrax did a good cover of it on there i think it was for the ronnie james dio tribute uh, this is your life and mm. they actually i i mean they do anthrax of course does a lot of covers in their set list for their tours and they they have this included at it and they do a pretty good justice for it but i mean oh yeah this when you listen to this it's just you're just ready for this album it's an awesome awesome first song pick and it just sets you up for what your ears are going to listen to for the for the other seven songs but yeah and that's another good point tom brings up this only has eight songs you know so like you know, there's, there's, I love albums like this and from this era and, and before, because there really wasn't any bloat back then. It was all good material. They were putting out and they were doing it. They weren't, you know, they weren't going with 12 or 15 songs or anything like that. They were just writing it, putting it out and, and, and going for it. And I, I love that. And I, I wish more bands would do that nowadays. Yeah, me too. Well, I think, excuse me, back then, of course, you had your vinyls. It was True. only vinyl. You had cassettes, too. But you could probably only put that much yeah. on in one yeah. album, right? So now groups right. have come out with two vinyls. And like you say, have 13 or 14 songs on it. And yeah, they're not all good, great songs, of course. So it was a different time back then that True. you're only going to make 40 minutes or 45 minutes on an yeah. album. But yeah, this is one of my favorite songs, too. Now, I was reading comments other like just researching seeing what I wanted to talk about and then there's people that say oh this isn't black sabbath or whatever because it sounds so <laughs> different now like maybe tom since you're a little older yeah would you think that too in a way uh, that oh this isn't black sabbath because can you imagine ozzy no, singing any of these songs absolutely no um <laughs> it's they're two complete to me they're two completely different bands just completely separated in my brain yeah um, but we, you go back, you're talking the musicianship all the way back to the early Sabbath with Geezer and Tony and Bill. They're supreme musicians. Mm -hmm. But the voice, the sound of Ozzy's voice and the persona that he had was the main focal point. These guys are still banging out really good musically speaking songs. They weren't considered that then for some reason, like right. high echelon musicians. It was the it was the notoriety of their wild drug life and the crazy stuff. But now you bring Ronnie into the equation. It's a completely different band. There's yeah. still the, I think even the focus was on the musicianship and the composition of the songs. And now you're listening to a voice the greatest voice perhaps of in the history of hard rock or even rock period just you looked and listened to it differently um this is a serious band now and they're going to go somewhere with this and it, it was just a weird transitional period again where you didn't know what to expect and when you first heard it's it like 
holy Christ, this is fantastic. This is just great music. So it was, it was I just completely different. I consider Black Sabbath than the band Heaven and Hell. Completely two different bands. Yeah. All together, just completely. Yeah. This is really cool. Well, even when and, they and did I the read, album. Sorry, go ahead. And I read, sorry, and I read in, I think it was Tommy's book where when they first started touring for this album, the fans were chanting Ozzy, 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 yeah. like, and then, but he said, like, within a gig or two, boom, Dio just won them right over. And I mean, that just goes to show. And I, I to, to forward more, like what Tom said, 100%, I think that the band was so good right from the start that, you know, and, and Ozzy's singing, well, is he a great singer? Eh, you know, it, it was the persona and the sound. But Ozzy has always had a great band to really kind of bring any of his shortcomings, you know, kind of cover it a little bit. Because even in the Ozzy solo stuff, I mean, the first two albums, you know, he is Randy Rhodes, the best Kid. guitarist of all times. And yeah. I mean, that covered up a lot of maybe, you know, made it that much bigger than what it is. And I think that with Black Sabbath, with, uh, with Butler Ward, Naomi as well, I, I think Tom has a great point there. It's uh, the band was was huge and musically really really sound and then they get a singer who in my mind is really technical and, and proper and was able to take it in a different different direction not to take anything from ozzy i love right, ozzy but right, it's just right. such a you're 100 percent right i think that's that's awesome now i forget what i was going to say that's okay <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> now we'll go on to children of the sea and we'll let uh, jimmy you can start talking about children of the sea uh, this is another one. I mean, this would be probably tied to Neon Nights for me. I love it. It sounds so good live. That uh, guitar intro, you know, is just, it's phenomenal. You've got the kind of the classical acoustic there. And then the heavy guitar just cuts right in. And I mean, the song just kind of takes takes off. And uh, I, I really, really like it. I mean, it, it's awesome. It's, um, you know, and Jag Panzer does a wicked, wicked cover of this. And like... I listen to this and then I'll go listen to that cover. And it just, I mean, they do it so well. I mean, this whole album pretty much has been covered by somebody because it's so iconic, but uh, no, awesome, awesome song. I love it. And Tom. Yeah. This one's right up there with Nia Knights. Uh, this is probably in my top 10 favorite songs <laughs> of all time as well. This was the first song that Tony and Ronnie wrote. As a matter of fact, that very night um, that Ronnie met Tony at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, they went over to Tony's place that evening, and Tony had been working on the structure of this song, Children wow. of the Sea, and he played a little bit of it for Ronnie, and Ronnie was like, oh, I got to write lyrics, and he wrote lyrics that very night um, wow. to Children of the Sea. Um, so they already had this written before they were even in the band together. So that, and he, and Ronnie was glowing about, you know, oh, this song is just fantastic. I mean, I just, it was easy for me to put lyrics to this, you know, and uh, we in the public didn't know this was the first song they ever wrote together, but that came out years later. I think even like on a live, I think uh, the Sabbath live at Radio City Music Hall, Ronnie even says that. This is the first song we wrote together. They don't know, awesome. do they, Tony? But it was that night. They weren't a band yet, and they wrote wow. the song. Tony already had it, recorded most of it. And then Ronnie finished it up, and they had a song they loved. Uh, 
very much. But it's a great song. I, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I'll never get sick of it. It's a great song. Yeah. And apparently Tony Iommi says he has a he has a demo of it with Ozzy singing on it, but with really? a different melody and of course lyrics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But I don't know if I'll ever let that be heard by anyone. Not <laughs> grief. And I remember it was about uh, the Dio documentary. Have you both seen that? Uh, yes. I have. Did I see the okay. whole thing? I can't remember. <laughs> I but think I did. Part, there's a part, because we were talking about this on the last song, but there was a part in it where, you know, the people that love Ozzy or whatever and didn't want to hear anything oh, about yeah. Ozzy, and it shows yeah. two druggy people sitting in their house, <laughs> and they put Heaven and Hell album on, and then they were blown away, and they were won over by Dio instantly right. or something. I don't know how true that is, of course. But... <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> but it looked good anyway. Okay, so now we get to, I like the song too. I don't really need to add anything, because Tom said everything I was going to say. So <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Big mouth. <laughs> but yeah, about it being the first song they did together. Oh, there, I do have one thing, I guess, that I found. It says... There's been a lot of speculation that this song is about Atlantis, but Dio has only spoke of it as a song about ecological awareness. Now, I don't know how important what the lyrics are, but that's what I read anyway, so doesn't matter. Now we go on to Lady Evil. Now, this song, I guess this song was written about my wife. I don't know how did oh. that happen. <laughs> Good luck later. <laughs> so let's hope my wife doesn't listen to this episode. <laughs> She's going to hear or, about it. Or we'll have to find out about a song about divorce, a heavy metal songs, or any heavy metal songs about divorce. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh it's another great rocker this song yeah. and uh let's see tom what do you think of lady evil um i just love the the content of it the lyrics there's a place just south of witch's valley it's yeah. just great it's just great um love it it's just a great song one thing what when i when i heard this album at my friend's house the, and maybe because i'm a drum dork or whatever Mm -hmm. What stands out to me the very most on this album is the bass drum sound that Bert Martin Birch brought out into this album. Bill, it, he doesn't play any double bass strokes on this album. It's the sound of it. It's prominent. You can hear it and you can feel it on this album. And I personally love that. And this song brings it out big time too. Just that there's a certain sound, and I don't know if it's how Martin had liked up his drums or his bass drums, but it's there in your face, and I love that. And that's the song, that's the the sound that stands out to me most about this song. Lyrically, it's great, and it's just, it's just like this mystical, really cool setting, and you can get a mental picture sometimes of what this song is. And so it's it's just another great song. I love every song on this album, so it's going to be the same old, same old for me. Just. <laughs> And Jim, yeah, yeah it's. I, I mean, Tom says it all there. I think this. I have in my notes written down. This just highlights the drums, and I mean, and it's hilarious that Tom brought that up. I know he's a drum drum uh, guy, and he loves that. But yeah, I think really a good focus on Bill Ward here. And I agree. You know, uh, Martin Birch brings up. He makes these albums and makes these bands kind of dig deeper, and he he really brings out the best. And in that song. 
definitely it's got a killer groove to it i find it yeah. really groovy and yep. and yep. it's really cool i mean i think it's a little underrated i i think people yep. are more overshadowed by the, the uh you know the big song on this album as opposed right. to some of these other ones uh, but i mean like tom awesome song and it is it's just a groovy mm-hmm. cool, cool song to, to listen to for sure so uh what a riff to a guitar player is is a groove to a drummer so there you go that's a great point there jim um it has a groove bill ward's groove on this is is akin to a riff from a guitar player and i just it it swings through and it carries through so very well good point my boy nice nice (laughs) (laughs) then we get to the least favorite song of course no (laughs) (laughs) No, probably many people's one of their top metal songs of all time, probably the title track, Heaven and Hell. And well, I'll let Tom go and see if he says everything I was going to say. <laughs> I'll, I'll limit my comment. Um, it's no, you not don't my, have to. It's not my favorite song on the album. It's just got that catchy, you know, you know, that riff. I mean, and what I find interesting from the very beginning of this album when they would play live they would take this song and not play it live verbatim they'd add certain layers and other ad libs if you will um to it there's a great white shape looking out of me or whatever the hell you know it's interestingly enough because this is probably the most noteworthy track on the album title track but they added to it live yes yeah jim yeah you know i mean it's the anthemic song on the album and like tom my favorite i think there's way better songs on here it's a great song don't get me wrong i mean it's just you hear it and you just kind of you just you just sit there and it kind of gives you goosebumps but i mean it's it's uh and it's been probably maybe overplayed too quite a bit i mean that's just because it is the the big song on the album and that's the thing with this actual album you've got like you know there's a lot of debate whether heaven to hell which one's better heaven to hell or mob rules and i think heaven and hell has higher highs like this but mob rules is more of a consistent really really good and I, I so so they kind of trade off with each other but i think this song's you know it, it's it's a classic i mean and it is probably in most people's except for blake's top uh you know top 10 10 songs probably and uh you know i also find it's got kind of it departs a little bit from the black sabbath i mean this whole album kind of departs from sort of the black sabbath doom more doom sound on the first uh, 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 part of their catalog with Ozzy and that's just because of Ronnie's Ronnie's voice but this kind of has a bit of a southern rock sound to it and and kind of gives it there's a couple coming up that has that as well that I feel but I, I, I like it a lot and it's really cool and, and Dream Theater did a great cover of it although I mean you know the voice sounds so different compared to Ronnie but still did a, a really uh, a really good cover of it as well in 2009 um I like this song. Did you think I didn't like this song? I was joking. I do like this oh. song. <laughs> this is my favorite. I think this is my favorite oh. Black Sabbath song, actually, of all time. So, nice. Okay. I think so. But anyway, so yeah, I don't know why I was just joking when I said about whatever. But yeah, I love this song. It's my favorite song on the album. Now, I'm just going to read a quote from Ronnie James Dio about this song. 
this says this was a, a chance for him to get to say things off his chest that he's always wanted to say. It was a song that let me say the one statement that was most important to me. He's always felt he's been a spokesman for kids, for people that were maybe lonely or looked down upon because they liked the wrong kind of music like us. And and more importantly, the kids who play in bands. So I made the statement that I always wanted to make. The world is full of kings and queens who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It's heaven and hell. And that you all means beware of people who try to blind your eyes with promises. If you have those dreams, don't let anyone rob you of your dreams and just do what you want to do, I guess, is what he's saying. I kind of cut that short. but And also, I guess in VH1's, I don't know, some documentary they did, uh, Dio stated the song is about the ability of each human being to choose between doing good and doing evil, essentially, that each person has heaven and hell inside themselves. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so as long as that's all right. Okay, then we got to Wishing Well, which has been played zero times live, apparently, according to this website. So, Jim, what do you think of Wishing Well? I think this is an underrated one on the album. I like it. It's got wicked riff. Uh, the drums sound great in the song. And it, kind of this song, probably more so than all the other songs, has more of an old school Sabbath sound to it for me. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't see really Ozzy singing any of these, but if he was, that one would probably be the one that I would think he would probably be kind of able to pull off. So just in my opinion, but I, I mean, I think it's an underrated song. It it, uh, it should definitely get more love for sure. And I, I really like it. It would be in my top half of the album. And Tom? Have we lost Tom? I don't know. I don't hear Tom. Am I here now? <laughs> oh, there yeah. I hear you. I think I accidentally hit my mute button on my headset. <laughs> okay. My apologies. Okay, wishing well. What do you think, Tom? Yeah, uh, I agree. And that's an interesting point because it really didn't ever occur to me about, yeah, this is a song that Oz could probably sing, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a really good point. No, I never pondered that. Um, on the actual album the vinyl album this was the first song on side two oh, and i thought yes. it was a really cool way to kick off you know the flip side so it was again a little more up tempo kind of the same approach uh uh to start off that out that side of the album with a up tempo you know driving song so yeah i i like the song um i thought that's what I, I remember the most about it. it was just on the first song on side b or two of the album right well uh, jim you kind of meant like you say it's underrated and i think you're just there's a few songs on here that are underrated just because of the yeah. really awesome songs so it's hard to you know people are gonna bypass and say oh i want to listen to heaven and hell or lonely is a word or whatever your favorite songs are die young or whatever so yeah so there's a couple songs on here like that one that they're still great songs but yeah they yeah. are overlooked because of all the other ones and i guess you don't play it live that doesn't help either <laughs> yeah. but it certainly has its spot on this album though yes totally and then we get to die young and uh jimmy you can talk about die young Oh, I mean, this is, again, one of my favorites on this album. I mean, I remember seeing the video for it when it was released back <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah. And it was really cool. We were like, I think that was the first time I probably 
besides like off of Holy Diver and that got to see some footage from uh, from Dio and Sabbath. And I mean, this was, a, this, I think, the third single released off this. And the interesting thing is I don't even think Heaven and Hell was ever released as a single. I don't so, think so. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. And I mean, that, that ominous guitar start to it is so yeah, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, the guitar is unbelievable. And the song just takes off. I love it. And it's so many change-ups in the song. It just goes goes in different directions. I love it. And, uh, you know, this is just such a cool song. I mean, I, I'm saying this about every song, but uh, <laughs> this one, and it's got a perfect spot. Like, you know, uh, Tom said, Wishing Well started side B or side two the second side and then you hit into this monster like the second song on side two so it's perfectly set up for you just to, you know the side two is just as good as side one and i mean this just proves it and tom yeah the intro to this song is really cool that unusual sounding haunting guitar you know yeah slowly building into the you know the beginning of the song itself this is my best friend's favorite song on the album cool he's always die young die young die young <laughs> but and when jim mentioned the video i think of the video in that midsection of the song where da 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 and bill ward is going mental on <laughs> his hi-hat and bill usually wasn't that animated physically as a drummer but who knows if he was all drugged up at the time perhaps <laughs> but you're, you're loaded but i remember that video it's a really cool video then at the end of the yeah. video at the end of the video very end of it all of a sudden you hear audio of like an audience applauding and cheering and the guys come out and it, do you, did you see this part of it jim where yeah all four guys come out at the front of the stage and they kind of like yeah. shake hands with the people that day. that was kind of interesting i I thought, it was uh, about the, the video <laughs> itself but another strong song i really like it and um uh just has a certain place on that album as well yep yeah well for me i'm never like uh it's another it's probably maybe it's the fastest one on the album i guess it's more what you'd expect dio to do on his own after whatever but yeah for me because Again, I I, trying, I probably heard Dio's solo album before I even went to the Black Sabbath albums. Again, it's hard to remember. But so this is definitely my kind of Sabbath more than the Aussie Sabbath. I wasn't really a big, looking back on it now, like we talked yeah. in the Paranoid, not a big Aussie fan, except for the great musicians that are always behind them, like Jim mentioned before. Yeah. saves any faults he might have had but yeah this is more <laughs> definitely more my kind of music than the doomy gotcha. stuff i guess <laughs> yeah yeah and uh that one has been played 250 times live so that's a pretty good one <laughs> for the band i guess and then we got another one that they've never played live apparently called walk away and I was reading, you know, I don't know, song meanings don't mean that much to me, but some people like to care about what they think. So one person said you're walking away from drugs, but then most of the people were saying it's walking away from a woman. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's true. And then somebody said, I hate when Ronnie James Dio sings about women. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, uh, Tom, what do you think of the song Walk Away? I like it. Um I, it's weird. I compare this, these last two tracks on this album, I compare with the last two tracks on ACDC's Highway to Hell. Yeah. I, I, I put these two together somehow as 
part A and part B to capping off my favorite album in the history of the world, of course. But I just, I always think of these two tracks together and I think they fit very well together because they're mid-tempo to slower tempo, kind of different than the album, but they're memorable. Oh, walk away, she's looking to love you. I mean, it comes to my mind immediately. So I think these last two tracks are very strong tracks and I have no problem with them uh, closing out the album. But I, I think of them as like a package deal, like two songs combined. I don't know how or why, but I just do. But uh, yeah, really like the, the, this song too. And Jim? Yeah, like Walk Away. It's, again, I'm going to use the word underrated because, but you're right. Like, I mean, there's so many massive songs on this that something has to take sort of the back end of the album. But I mean... I agree with Tom. I've never thought of it that way with the last two songs, but <laughs> I can see how they definitely kind of, kind of go hand in hand. And I mean, walk away. The, the, I think this is like some of Dio's best vocal performances on this song. He is just ripping it. And the flow is great. I love it. I mean, I love it. And the drums again, Tom, I mean, the drums yeah. in the song are phenomenal. And again, I think, uh, production on this album is what really just I mean you went from you know their last album to this I mean two totally different singers two totally different kind of directions but just really really they they brought out the best and and you know Ronnie brought his voice but I mean I think the musicianship of this and in this song as well really highlights that yeah very good stuff yeah and then we finish with lonely is the word and we'll let Jim start first. Uh, I now I'm going to listen to these together all the time. Um, <laughs> and, and he's right. I'm thinking about it. And then yeah. I just went back to uh, just checked out ACDC. And he's right. Those two do go together. They do, and man. Yeah, they do. So, I mean, this <laughs> one here is kind of lonely as the word is a, more kind of like wishing well a little bit in the sense that it has kind of a little bit of a return to a bit of a doom sound for me and a bit of an old school sound but uh you know it's just it's probably because it's got such a bluesy kind of riff and feel to it and uh, again another underrated song i think the second half of this album is just as strong as the first half and uh it just finishes it on a high for me yeah yeah and tommy briefly mentioned yeah. it already but yeah, want to talk more about the song it's I, I, it's like a, the song exudes like a melancholy kind of a vibe and feel yeah. like Jim said, like the more doomier stuff, but it isn't like so thick and plodding and heavy, Yeah, but it's, it just, you just have a feel of melancholy, like, Oh, lonely as a world. Jesus. But yeah, so it's a good capper uh, of, of the album. And again, I just consider these two songs to be together as twins for some reason. I don't know, but yeah, <laughs> I like the song. Now, uh, I was reading, you know, again, research and stuff, trying to talk about different things. And then I seen some comments. I'm going to ask you about this because <laughs> it said that oh, they rip off Led Zeppelin in this song. Do either of you guys know what that might be talking about at all? I don't, but I'm not a Led Zeppelin fan, so I, I'm not overly familiar with their catalog. And uh, it's because they didn't I, really I say what song. <laughs> yeah, I, and I, I was know. just 
because for me, the only because of heaven going back to heaven and hell, the ending it does kind of remind me of Stairway to Heaven, how they pick up really fast at the end. But of course, Stairway to Heaven is slow all the way through at the start. Well, heaven and hell, yeah. it, it might be slow, but it's still heavy. So, yeah, but, but I was listening to the song before, but then I must have got distracted by my dog and I didn't finish to the end, <laughs> only as a word. So I thought, crap, I don't remember. I mean, even though I've heard the song many times and I never ever thought of, I like Led Zeppelin and I know their catalog and I don't remember anything about lonely as a word being something about Led Zeppelin. I never heard that. So I was just wondering if you guys would know what these people were talking about. Can't say I do. (laughs) No. So anyway, that's the album. So now we're going to rate it. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be some tens in here. So I'm going to start and I'm giving it a (laughs) 9.5. And uh, Tom, are you giving it a ten? Probably. No, I've never given any element. Oh, okay. A ten because there's no <laughs> such thing to me as perfect. But I'll go nine point five. Oh. Um, if there were tens, I would give it a ten. But I just don't give tens to anybody. So okay. I work on a nine scale. <laughs> well, I know Jim yes. gives tens, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm the guy who gives everything a, a good rating. So no, I mean, this for me is a ten out of ten. I mean, uh, for me, it's. But I gotta be honest. I I don't know. I, I kind of go back to which one's better, Mob Rules or this. And I'd love to hear like, what do you guys uh, yeah. think of those two albums? Like, do you I, think? Yeah. You know. What do you? I think? do have thoughts on that. Actually, I think uh, I look at it a couple different ways. One, I favor Heaven and Hell. Um, but that is because of sentimental value to it, because it was, for me, it was the, it was more of a reintroduction to Sabbath. Uh, so it was more important of a record to me personally. Um, in many cases, Heaven and Hell was the introduction to people of Black Sabbath who didn't right. really even know anything about the Ozzy period. I think, I believe for me, if if I were just to be completely, you know, well, I am honest, but <laughs> to be honest, I think Mob Rules is the better quality album right. all the way through. And I think because it's consistently higher, but I like Heaven and Hell more. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but oh yeah, um, yeah, that's because I think it was, you know, being around back then, it was a humongous deal to have somebody different singing for Black Sabbath and the way that they you know the great album they put out so that's the way i feel about it. i think have i think mob rules is maybe a little bit better yeah <laughs> it might be but to me this is my 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 preference although i love right. that our, uh, mob rules as well so yeah well for me it's been a while since i've listened to mob rules i wanted to listen to it again because i thought this question might come up <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but of yeah, course yeah. i didn't get around to it but just yeah. Going back, looking at the song, but I still think I like this album, Heaven and Hell, better than the Mob Rules. I think Mob Rules is a little, a little slower, like in some of the songs, Sign of Southern Cross and Country Girl or whatever. They're a little slower, but Turn Up the Night is like another one of my most favorite songs by Sabbath. Yeah. And that's I got city. something about Turn Up, Turn Night. So back in whatever, 1981 or whatever, I heard yes. Vinnie, Ap- Vinnie Appice in, in the States here uh, was doing a national radio interview. Um, and he hadn't heard Turn Up the Night yet. This is right when um, Mob Rules came out. And if you remember, it there's four strokes on the hi- hi-hat. And then they go into the song. And Vinny goes, what the hell is that? That wasn't supposed <laughs> to be on the, whole, the song. Just it's like the timing mechanism. So that tells me that 
they very well could have played that song live in the studio. And that was part of it. That's, you know, you start the band cool. up. Sometimes a drummer will hit their sticks together or hit the hi-hat, yeah. the four the four strokes on the hi-hat. And he was like, what is that doing? I didn't think that was supposed to be actually on the album. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Wicked. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to talk about seeing them live. Now, uh, this is just going to be a one-person chat mostly, I guess. <laughs> but I have only... I've seen Dio by himself a couple times, and I saw Heaven and Hell once, I believe. But I don't really have any interesting stories from that. And Jim, you I, you haven't seen Black Sabbath live before, right? No, Black Sabbath or Dio, so I'm, I'm mute on this one. <laughs> so I know that Tom started a riot at a show, so I'm going to let Tom talk about that. Guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've seen both tours I, i've seen the heaven and hell tour and the mob rules tour together uh, not together obviously just you know year after year yes. so the black sabbath heaven and hell tour um took place in milwaukee on october 9th of 1980 i was um i was a junior in high school so i was 17 um and I went to this show. So it was a package tour. It was Blue Oyster Cult was the opener. Nice. Cult was touring on Cultosaurus Erectus. Um, ah. So they opened, and it was dubbed the Black and Blue Tour. So they did a whole national tour. Milwaukee was their stop, and we had a little, it was it was a riot that occur, occurred. Um, the Kind of what happened was, and usually I remember um, back in those days, the waiting period in between bands was longer back in those days than it is these days. It was not uncommon for a good full hour to go by before the, the headlining band would come on. It's just the way it was. And I remember people were getting a little antsy about this. Come on, what the hell? First of all, um, it was a Thursday night, so for me it was a school night, and I had to travel <laughs> about an hour and a half south to get to the show. And I'm thinking, you know, Jesus, but you know, it's what you did back then, no big, no big deal. But it was quite late before Sabbath even took the stage. I'm talking like damn near nine thirty at night before they even started, and for us where we were, that was that's getting late. But anyway, so they opened that tour with war pigs and they uh and they uh transitioned into neon nights there was no chatter in between those two songs ronnie didn't address the crowd the third song they didn't make it through <laughs> um, it was it was nib not dissimilar to uh the live evil album where ronnie would go geezer butler so i remember Ronnie did a brief introduction to Geezer. And he goes, we're going to play a song, Geezer Butler. And then that opening bass, that was supposed to come on. I think maybe we heard a little bit about, a little bit of that, but all of a sudden, the music stopped. At this point, though, the intro to this is dark in the arena. The, the idea was darkness, Geezer does the bass intro, and when the rest of the band comes in, the lights come back on. That never happened. What happened was we didn't know what happened, but some goof threw a bottle 
and it hit Geezer in the head. And he went down, and Geezer will tell you that he at least was briefly knocked out, I guess. Um, but he was down, and he it cut his head open. And we didn't know this. So there's a lot of confusion. We just thought, you know, God. plus I, I was early in my concert going <laughs> days. I didn't know really, is this a thing that happens at concerts? Are they just playing around <laughs> or what? We didn't know. So, but the lights did come up. And when the lights came up, there was no band on the stage. We're like, what's going on? You know? And then I just recall a lot of confusion because there was no announcement, no formal announcement of what happened because it was all chaotic. But what did happen was, I don't know if it was the production manager, the stage manager, the band's manager. <laughs> this guy comes out and he's mad. And he's, he's, we couldn't really, actually, Ronnie said something before they left the stage. I couldn't really make out what he said. I think later to find out, it was like, you know, what the hell are you guys doing? You know, we give our blood, you know, not literally though, or some, something along those lines. But Ronnie did say something, but I could not understand what he said. But this Sabbath crew guy comes out and he was a manager. He, he said who he was, I think, but I really, we didn't know. And he, he, he's a British guy. And he goes, now, mind you, this is 1980. This is only four years after the country's bicentennial or a birthday, right? Mm -hmm. 1770, 1976 is 1980. So we're all patriotic yet back in those days. Well, he said something about this isn't 1776 anymore. <laughs> in, in essence, ripping on us Americans like what the fuck are you talking about that did not sit well with anybody i remember that and that caused a lot of bad juju and a lot of bad feelings and then he went on for a couple minutes and then he stopped and then the realization came that they ain't coming back yeah but and i remember dude i mean there were fires set it was in the Milwaukee arena. So it's a 12,000 seat arena, right? Um, the, the floor had like portable sets of chairs, like mm -hmm. rows of chairs that you could sit in a portion of that. But cause the Milwaukee Bucks basketball team played at this arena. So the seats were similar to like a seat in a movie theater. You know, the seat that just, the part that you sit on, they fold up somehow, <laughs> some way those were getting torn off. <laughs> of the actual chair part itself and they're throwing them down onto the floor i was down on the floor and people were freaking out because it, it just you know fires were set and you know it was just ripping the place to apart and it spilled out into the streets in milwaukee and i think 160 people were arrested cops showed up in riot gear and i just remember <laughs> People like concert goers, you know, they might have been in an altered state, you know, because <laughs> Sabbath was known to be a big drug band, you know, Dry, just guys getting dragged across the street by cops in riot gear, taking them into the paddy wagon and getting them downtown because this, this took place right downtown Milwaukee. So storefronts, you know, windows were bashed, you know, all this bad stuff that happened outside the arena, you know, a lot of damage and stuff. But yeah, we didn't get three songs deep until somebody, you know, threw a bottle. Geezer actually said later, you know, hey, 
this isn't the worst thing that happened to me, believe it or not, in my my music <laughs> career ego is for one thing, unless the guy had like he was super accurate with a bottle, I don't think he was trying to hit me because the lights were down when I got hit. <laughs> he couldn't see me. So we don't know. We were wondering once the truth came out and I, I hung around later, we're like, we gotta find that guy and kick his ass and find him right. We're gonna beat the hell out of this son of a gun. And that never happened. To this day, I don't think I don't think I've ever heard anybody even say like, yeah, we found out who it was or somebody did. I don't think so. Yeah, because the arena was dark. It was yeah, that'd be a it would be unless the person's going to admit that he did it. Yeah, Yeah. we'd still beat him up. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be hard to see. (laughs) So yeah, it was the black and blue black and blue tour was quite aptly uh, titled for that. Uh, Yeah, so unfortunately, I only saw two songs. You know, it was a. No, it so the so the next you saw the next tour was that at the same place or was that no, it wasn't oh, oh and another okay. thing so so what happened um was hard rock and metal bands were banned from playing at the arena <laughs> there and then beer sales were banned but that shortly ended um Sabbath <laughs> I forgot about that yeah but no I saw um so I saw them in Milwaukee. Uh, for the heaven and hell tour the next tour was in green bay because i lived closer to green bay wisconsin mm-hmm. um, so sabbath did not play in milwaukee on the mob rules tour oddly enough and they <laughs> so that was a little bit of a tweak and i understand that that's you know but those bad feelings they they dissipated that those went away later in the, the mm-hmm. careers and ronnie played in milwaukee a bunch of times and, and sabbath yeah. with with um Tony Martin, they played it, you know, Geezer played in Milwaukee after that. So it was just, they realized it was one asshole who did this, you know, it wasn't us as a whole. But uh, yeah, the Mob Rules tour was fantastic. I mean, it was just, now they're, they're really on, you know, they're cruising at this point. And that was just a yeah. fantastic tour. It was just as good as you think it was. It was, it was wow. trust me, it was fantastic. It was really cool. I remember the, the staging. There's a lot of like up in the the rigging area, like stained glass window or stained glass, stained glass, like <laughs> looking windows and shit. It was really cool. Fantastic. Cool. Yeah. So that's my live stories about okay. that, that lineup. Oh, and oh, by the way, um, the Heaven and Hell tour, it was Vinny playing drums, not Bill. Bill had oh. already got kicked off the tour. He quit. Oh, right. Yeah. So this... The the show in Milwaukee was probably only like show number. Oh, I don't. I couldn't imagine Vinny had ten shows under his belt yet with him. So he, right. yeah. So Vinny <laughs> Vinny actually was uh, the drummer uh, uh, at that at that riot. Yeah, he was there. It was him. <laughs> so if any, I know you complain that not many bands play Milwaukee. Well, now we know why. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> such a rough rough Bunch house. Freaking hoodlums. Well, yeah, you take your very <laughs> life in your own hands. Just going downtown now. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so now we're going to do, we did our top 10 albums of 1980, and I think I'm going to go first this time. Usually I think I go last, but I'm going to start first this time, because I'm interested to see what you guys have, and if you match. I'm sure we have some matches. It's 1980. There's not that many heavy metal albums, but of course, you can have hard rock in here, too. Sure. You know what you did. So I started, my number 10 was Crocus with Metal Uh, Rendezvous. With their great song three or oh no i forget the name of the song but it sounds just like acdc 
Long stick goes boom. That's it. That's on yeah. that one. Yeah. That's not on Metal Rendezvous. Oh, it isn't it? Oh, sorry. I have the wrong album then. It's I didn't okay. research that. I just. <laughs> well, I'm, I don't want to be a. You can edit that out. That's <laughs> nah, okay. <laughs> I can because make a mistake. Because that's in my top 10 too. I make a mistake once in a while. Sorry. Okay. No. Sorry but anyway, so I got Crocus there. Uh, number nine, I got Saxon with Wheels of Steel. I know that you guys are probably Saxon fans, or I know Jim is yep. anyway. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Number eight, I got Ted Nugent's Scream Dream. Nice. I always loved Wango Tango. <laughs> I saw that tour too. Oh, I I saw Ted Nugent, but it was way later in his career. Well, it probably it's probably been 15 years ago. He's still playing, but whatever. <laughs> yep. And let's see, number seven, I got Judas Priest with British Steel. Number six, I got Van Halen with Women and Children First. Which is probably my favorite Van Halen album. Yeah, maybe the first one, but in that one. Yeah. Number five, I got we got a lot of legends here at the top here. Number five, I got Motorhead <laughs> with Ace of Spades. Mm-hmm. Number four, I got Saxon again, since they had two albums out that year with Strong Arm of the Law. Nice. Number three, I have this album, Heaven and Hell. Number th- is my number three album, even though I gave it a nine and a half. Which <laughs> and number two, I got Iron Maiden's debut album is my number two, and funny, my number one album is Ozzy's Blizzard of Oz. Uh, yeah, but like right. Jim kind of mentioned before, the reason it's my number one is because of Randy Rhodes, is really yeah. the rest of the band, the music and stuff over just being Ozzy. It's just that Randy Rhodes is amazing, so that's my number one. Goodness. And we'll let Jim do his 10 next. Right, so I had trouble doing this because I had so many. So I'm going to start <laughs> with three honorable mentions. So I got to go with uh, my honorable mentions will be Thin Lizzy with Chinatown, Accept, I'm a Rebel, and Motorhead, Ace of Spades. I had to throw my Motorhead in there, and it just they kept moving down my list. So at number <laughs> 10, number 10, I got to go with Tigers of Pantang, Wildcat, uh, Ooh, Wicked debut album. Yeah, Wicked, I yeah, love yeah. it. I love it. Number nine, and you know I'm a big Scorpions fan, so Animal Magnetism for this year is great. Not necessarily probably in my top four Scorpion albums, but I love these pre, well, this would be 1980. I love 1980 back Scorpions, I think are just phenomenal. So, and this is one of the last, I mean, I love the 80s Scorpions too, but this one uh, was definitely a, a great one. Number eight, I go with Lightning to the Nations by Diamond Head. I mean, the new wave of British heavy metal bands are full on this, and that's just one of my favorites. The remastered version I picked up in January is phenomenal. Number seven, huge Saxon fan, strong arm of the law. I mean, you know, this could have even been higher. Number six, one of my favorite bands, and, you know, Tom has talked about it already, uh, Cultosaurus Erectus, Blue Oyster Cult. What a fantastic album. Yeah. I mean, I love Blue Oyster Cult, and that's that's one of my favorites. So that's Martin cool. Birch produced that record also. <laughs> yes, he did. It's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Number five, <clears throat> Wheels of Steel, Saxon. I love it when bands back in the early 80s and 70s would bring out two releases in the run of a year. I mean, what a treat. Now yeah. we get one every so many years, but that's <laughs> just great. Number four, Priest, British Steel, Number three, Blizzard of Oz, Ozzy. And, you know, I I mean, again, Randy Rhodes, uh, this could easily be anywhere from one, two, or three. But, you know, Iron Maiden, my number two, the debut. I mean, that album is just awesome. I love, love that album. 
and it's just so good, so good. And then my number one for this year is, and it could have been Iron Maiden, but I went with Heaven and Hell, Black Sabbath. I mean, you can't go wrong with any one of right. those two in the top one. So that's my group. <laughs> nice. Okay, and Tom, you get to finish it off. Yeah, so we do have some common threads here. My number 10 is Scorps, Animal Magnetism. I did see that tour, and as I mentioned just right before it was part of ted nugent's tour ted nugent oh. was a headliner scorpions was second and the opener def leopard touring off of on <laughs> oh. through the night three nice. freaking bands that's a hard combo or trip you know triple threat to beat but that just yeah. as a side note i saw that tour shortly thereafter um anyway my number nine triumph progressions of power wicked oh. album my favorite triumph album um eight is crocus blake it's metal mm. rendezvous <laughs> it is a fantastic album and your album is fantastic as well but you may remember metal rendezvous is just it's excellent song after song after song um and I'm, i apologize about that too i, I didn't mean to that's okay. <laughs> um, seven. Here's one that we have not heard from yet today. Michael Schenker Group's first album. Uh, yeah, that's that right. Is, Damn it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite. And actually, from now, from this this album on the way upward, these seven that I'm going to list are my favorite top ten of all time. So this is this <laughs> a year that I love. Six, Ace of Spades, Motorhead. Uh, I did see that tour. I saw the Ace of Spades tour. Maiden's first one is coming in at number five for me. And I saw Iron Maiden at Summerfest, but it was 81. Paul Deano, Sam. That was very cool. Um, four is British Steel by Priest. Um, three, as popular as it is, it's still just a great record. Back in Black from ACDC. Yeah. Um. Number two is Wheels of Steel from Saxon. Saxon has always been in my top three favorite bands of all time. Mm -hmm. And number one, uh, the, the album of the day here, uh, Heaven and Hell, Sabbath. Just, I don't leave home without it. Every time I leave in my car, that son of a gun is with me. Because I just might just feel like listening to it for the 500 <laughs> millionth time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there you go. Well, I already knew that was going to be your number one. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't stand it. <laughs> oh, and just for my mistake, yes, it's Crocus album, One Vice at a Time, that has yeah. long stick goes boom. <laughs> yeah. I had their own. It's okay, album. though. They, they were all really, you know, those those first three and those first four, they, it was like bang, 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 you know, right away. Head, yeah, Headhunter. Actually, Head, I can, I, can, oh, I guess I can yeah. say this because it won't make the list, but Headhunter is on my top 50 list, actually. I think it's on mine, too. I think could I be it. Go back and look. Yes, it's a great album. Anyway, so that was a good show. Anybody yeah, have guys. anything to add about this? Well, no. It's just a pleasure to be with you guys, and uh, it's fun. And uh, I think uh, a lot of good points came up today. Yes. Yeah. No. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. It's great, Tom and Blake. Yeah. You guys letting me hang around. Uh, no, this is this was a lot of fun uh, and one of the best albums. So I mean, it was a, a like a double treat for me. So for sure. 
Thanks, guys. Okay, thank you guys for joining me. And as I mentioned earlier in the ep- in the episode, this the next episode will be our first of October, and it will be the Halloween themed episode where our writer Stacia and one of her friends did a Bathory album called "Under the Sign of the Black Mark." So that'll be the next episode, and I think that's the first black metal album we've had on here because I don't call Venom black metal, even though we did do Venom's black metal album, yeah, yeah, but yeah. they're not really black metal. <laughs> And I'm sure Tom hasn't heard this Bathory album before, have you? No, no. <laughs> I haven't either. I don't know. Jim, have you heard it? No. Okay. But I'm looking forward to it. So we're going to have to listen to that so we can find yeah. out about Bathory. Right. There okay. You go. Thanks, everybody, for listening, right. and we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody.